0: The contents of this podcast are provided for general information and educational purposes only, and do not constitute investment, accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Welcome to the Money Magnet podcast, helping you attract and keep a fortune that counts with co-hosts self-made
1: money magnet, Steve McKnight, and esteemed journalist, Rowan Wen.
0: Hello, listeners, and hello, Rowan. G'day, Steve. How you doing? Rowan, I am rocking and rolling. I'm living the dream. LTD, living the dream. I am absolutely living the dream. For the first time since 2019, the McKnights have been on a family holiday. Hey, where have you been? Thailand. Thailand. Why'd you go there? Well, that's where my youngest Alyssa said she wanted to go. Okay, what'd you I do? Think it was, that might have been Jules who said. And look, we just went to the tourist meccas of Phuket and Koh Samui. Oh, yeah, nice. Did and, you enjoy it? Oh, I came back feeling extremely grateful. Explain. <laughs> nice pause there. Well, I came back feeling extremely grateful because the average Thai person earns 5000 Australian dollars. Oh, we don't know we're alive, do we? And driving on the roads over there and seeing how people live and then coming back to Australia, it's so much that I take for granted about life and the way we live life that sometimes you've got to travel to realise how good you got it at home.
1: It's funny, in 2019 I took the kids and my partner to Vietnam, right? And we had the same thing where the kids wanted to live their best life, quote unquote, social media style and lie there getting cocktails at the pool and stuff. And I said, no, come for a walk with me and let's walk literally two blocks that way and see how the world actually works. Not in a five-star freaking resort, but actually how people actually live, you know, and then
0: I sort of shamed them that way. to make <laughs> <a> it <bigger word. laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a bit of holiday shame. Well, well, you know, they needed it. We talk about how the other half live, but statistically it's much more than half. Yeah. Oh totally.
1: This might be a problem with wealth in general. You know, ideologically it's great to be wealthy, right? But the fact is there has to be poor people for there to be wealthy people, you know. And you don't have to talk about it, but it's true.
0: Well, I'm not here to argue with you. I just don't. Obviously, it happens. But I don't like to think about how people get abused for their disadvantage. And Thailand's a great place to talk about that because some years ago, I helped raise a lot of money to try and help people who were in sex slavery find another alternative to be able to survive without having to sell their body. Mm. And of course, people only sell their body if they're people who are buying bodies as well. And that's the use and abuse of humans. Sometimes we can be really rotten to each other. I know, we're not a very good species, are we? Well, on that happy note, that's the end of the podcast, (laughs) and uh, we'd better go to the bar and have a few drinks. No, no no drinking. We want to talk today about the Great Australian Nightmare, which still isn't particularly positive, but... (laughs) What's that
1: about? That does sound down, but it's not as sad as, to stay with us listeners, it's not as sad as it sounds. What is The Great Australian Nightmare, Steve?
0: Well, The Great Australian Nightmare is the opposite to The Great Australian Dream. And of course, when we talk about The Great Australian Dream, what we're talking about is this idea of owning your own home, which is a very 1960s egalitarian viewpoint of the way you'll be happy is an average house in the average suburb with an average yard and raising an average family.
1: Do you know why The Australian Dream became a thing politically? Tell me. So, Menzies was worried about communism. So, Menzies was the prime minister for a very long time in Australia, Rob Menzies, and he did think he was a good one. I wasn't around for it. But anyway, they were desperately scared of communism taking over and people becoming socialists. So, it was literally government policy to try and have people buying their own homes because if you bought their own homes, they've got a dog in the fight, they've got a place in the market. And they were less likely to become communists.
0: Well, I wonder, do you think that still holds true today? Or is we just got the ripples of policy from 60 years ago that still hold with us? Because the government is hell bent on keeping the great property pyramid scheme alive by encouraging people to buy a home they can't afford.
1: Yeah, I know. But if they trash the scheme, what happens to the economy?
0: What happens to the economy is a good question. What happens to their voter base? And we just got to kind of keep the myth going along in order to perpetuate it. And I, without wanting to get too conspiracy theorist, think the government has taxpayers for life when you own a home. Because when you own a home, you need a job for 20 or 30 years. And the biggest taxpayer base in Australia are people.
1: Well, don't forget that getting back to Menzies, it was all about keeping the workers working and people not becoming
0: communists. So this great Australian nightmare, let's unpack it. The great Australian nightmare is when you think you're buying a home and you're going to be happy in your home, but it doesn't work out that way. Why doesn't it work out that way? Well, think about it. You've got record divorce. You've got mental health issues coming up. Nothing out. wrong with divorce, just quietly. Your wazoo. <laughs> you've got kids unhappy with the parents and you've got parents unhappy with kids. You've got kids in longer and longer daycare hours. And that's only because parents are struggling to try and work hard enough to pay the bills. Mm. You've got people on medication at higher and higher rates. And it's just a giant mess. And that's the nightmare. The nightmare is you think you're buying a dream, but once you've bought it, you wake up in a nightmare. But what's the alternative? The alternative is to not drink the Kool-Aid and say, I'll own a home. But before I own a home, I'll get my investing life sorted out. And that's what we did, Rowan. That's what Jules and I did. Jules and I, we had all our mates who were running out there buying their home and doing the home ownership thing. And we were desperately jealous. We were living, you never met me at this point in life. No, uh, we were living on a unit on Station Street, Box Hill, where the trucks would roar up the hill and change gears out the front of our house. So it'd be, you'd hear them rolling up the hill, Burr. sound effects, no no extra. That was right, buddy. That was fantastic. Burr. Coming up the hill louder. Burr. And then they'd get to our house and they'd change gears. <laughs> and so I really struggled to sleep. And that, in conjunction with having to work in accounting, which I didn't want to do, left me with ulcers on, we'll call them unusual body parts. Yeah, your balls, right? Well, not quite, the other bit. But I had to go to the doctor and the doctor said, you are stressed out of your body. Mind, Mind, thank you. And you need to change. And we weren't even in the great Australian nightmare at that point in time. We were still renting. But we had to change where we were renting. But all our mates had these nice homes in nice areas, but they also had a giant mortgage that meant that they had to do things that meant they couldn't invest. trust the mortgage.
1: But having been somebody who has bought a house you know, a couple of times – you do pay them off. There you go. The mortgage becomes nothing.
0: Or you don't, and you just keep trading up and up and up, and whether it's a car that you never pay off, but every four years recycle into a new car loan, or a mortgage that you get into and then keep tapping to do renovations and upgrades yeah, that's and bigger different. houses. And...
1: That's what most people do, but that's different. Well, oh, that's you a... can pay mortgages off, is my point.
0: That's a plan for getting into debt, but never getting out of debt. Yeah, totally. Ideally, yes, you would. You would get in and you would have a mortgage and you pay it off. But remember, when you follow that pathway, you end up, asset rich and income poor because you end up owning your home, but you that's haven't right. got the investments that have been compounding to build that income base. So you become reliant on the pension.
1: Yeah. Or your wage if you paid off early. And that's sort of where people get to where they mightn't have a mortgage, but they're still got to keep on working Correct. because the property's not making them any money.
0: You're trapped. You've got a nice house that you've paid off and congratulations, but you don't have any income other than the income you earn by selling your time. And when you don't have any time left to sell, what do you do?
1: And you brought some stats today to talk about homeownership.
0: Good old that? stats. I love a good stat. So, some research for this podcast. In 1994, do you remember 94? How old were you in 94? 25,
1: possibly. Well, I was born in 73, so you do the maths. I can't <laughs> I'm a numerate, famously 70, a 73
0: plus 21. So, you were, yeah, 21, 22 around yeah. that time. What was going on in life when you were 21, 22? What's young Rowan look like? Uh, young Rowan would have been.
1: Doing University of Melbourne politics, I think.
0: Were you one of those guys that was at uni
1: really at the pub? No, no I actually went to uni oh. a bit, a little bit. I did enjoy the learning part. I actually didn't socialise very much at university. Quite a shy person, as you know. So
0: it's <laughs> not a, a displeasure. Rightio, so these are these stats. 94, I was 22. I was going to say, what were you doing? 22, I think I'd just about finished uni and was starting to work full time in accounting. Nice. Making my mark with a green pen. For those auditors out there who understand the green pen joke. But anyway, 1994, 41.8% of people owned their own home with no mortgage. Yep. 29.6% of people owned their home with a mortgage. Got it. 18.4% of people rented from a private landlord and 5.5% of people rented a government house.
1: Got it. So that's 94. What about now? Oh, that's
0: 1994. So what about now? Uh, latest stats, 2019, 2020. And this is the Home Ownership and Housing Tenure yep. 2023 report, if you want to Google it.
1: So people who owned their home with no mortgages in 94 was 41%. What is it now?
0: Well, it's 41.8% in 94. Now it's 29.5%. So it's dropped back. Yeah, so less people own their home with no mortgage today.
1: What about with a mortgage? It was 29.6% in
0: 94? Now 36.8%. So now more
1: people have a home with a mortgage. Okay. And people who are renting was 18.4% in 94? It's
0: gone up to 26.2%. Wow, that's a lot more renting, isn't it? Hmm. And people in government housing has gone up or down? 5.5% to 2.9%. So the statistics, broadly speaking, are that less people own their own home outright, and more people are renting, which means that houses have become less affordable, which is probably not surprising news to anyone.
1: Okay, so does that mean that it's a dream or a
0: nightmare? Well, it means that there's more people who owe more money on their homes, and they're not getting around to paying them off. And I actually think that it's pointing towards the nightmare state where people get into debt but are finding it harder and harder to get out of debt.
1: So can you see a world where people take on a mortgage but never pay it off?
0: I do, and that's not too uncommon in Europe where you have multi-generational loans, where you have one person borrows the money and they chip, chip, chip away at it, and then they pass it on to their descendants who chip, chip, chip away at it. And eventually, after two or three lifetimes, you own the asset, but it takes two or three lifetimes because one of the ways to make debt more affordable is to extend the period by which you're in debt.
1: How do they know, though, when they're given a loan, do they, how do they know that the kid's kid will actually pay
0: the loan off? Well, if it's not paid off by the kid's kid, it's paid off by the estate. Yeah, right. So they get paid one way or another. Extraordinary. Well, the Australian government's doing a similar kind of scheme where they co-own property with people, where they sort of say, well, I'll help you in, but you've got to give me some of the upside. But the danger is that it's encouraging people to get into a home ownership situation that they wouldn't otherwise get into and walk into a trap. And when you're in the trap,
1: that's when you get those things you were talking about before, like increased stress, increased marital problems, relationship problems, psychological problems, because people are just totally stressed out trying to pay off this damn house.
0: Well, it's not news that one of the greatest reasons for relationship trouble is financial trouble. And think about what you're teaching your kids when they're watching what you're doing and you're always upset and fighting about money. Not only are you ruining it for yourself, you're also ruining it for future generations who see money as something that should never be talked about lest it end up in an argument.
1: What do you mean by debt trap?
0: Well, literally that being trapped in debt and not being able to see a way out, and so gradually feeling more and more hopeless. Some more stats for you. According to one article, MPA, 16th of February, 2023, it was estimated that 120,000 Australians who bought a home with a low deposit loan at the end of the pandemic are likely have fallen into negative equity.
1: So negative equity, that's when you owe more than the house is worth, yeah?
0: Yeah, exactly. And how about this for a stat? 30.3% of mortgage holders, so that's someone who owes money now on a mortgage, are at risk of mortgage stress. That's like a third, right? And that is a record high. Interest rates aren't that high. I know they're, they're base of next to nothing, but historically they're not that high. And already nearly a third of people say that, oh, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay the home loan off because I'm in mortgage stress. And like anything that's a stressful situation, they're going to have to be making compromises elsewhere. And surely that's got to impact relationships.
1: And that's because they've borrowed too much, right? The rate's not that high. But when you borrow a lot of money, that still hurts, yeah?
0: They've borrowed a lot of money. And as the interest rate's gone up, the impact of even a small interest rate is disproportionate. And they feel more and more trapped and more and more hopeless.
1: And then I look at my kids and go, "How the heck are we going to get you guys into houses? Because you know they're just so expensive these days."
0: Because we have for them this notion of you need to buy into the great Australian dream. What about we rephrase it and say it's normal to rent? We have this pathological hate of renting. We keep saying rent money is dead money. And we keep saying, you're not getting any advantage, but you have utility if you rent and can master money and use your money to invest. It might mean that you rent in the short term, but you'll end up owning the home out of your profits. The problem is if you rent and you still can't afford to live, yeah. then you'll end up with nothing.
1: And we'll get there at some point a bit further in the podcast because there are people in that, in that category. But I would have thought though, with interest rates going up right now, Surely prices should be coming down.
0: Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? You would think that with interest rates coming up, people would have to sell and there'd be less people buying and so prices should go down. But we're in this situation because the government has just opened the borders and just let hundreds of thousands of people in. Mm.
1: Well, they're cutting migration though, aren't they?
0: Well, they say they're going to cut migration, but let's wait and see how much and for how long. Yeah. And then we end up in a situation where rents are going up and pushing people into wanting to go into more and more debt to own a home so they escape this situation where they can't find a house, and even if they can find a house, they've got to pay ridiculous sums to rent. Why has the government, Rowan, from a political point of view, increased migration like they have? What do you see with your optics?
1: Well, they're stimulating the economy, and they don't want to train people, so they bring them in. Australia basically is a Ponzi scheme. Like Our entire economy, sadly, relies on immigration that our environment can't sustain, but the economy needs. And that's why we're suffering. And they'll just keep doing it until somebody blows the whistle.
0: Is there any truth to the rumour I've heard about Labor wanting to increase its political base by allowing immigration to come in? Because new immigrants would typically vote Labor.
1: There is absolutely truth to that. There's also truth to the fact that places like where you live, and they're building these new railways, they're building them in order to have people renting around those railways to turn them into Labor seats. It's that clinical. <laughs> Self interest reigns supreme. <laughs> Self interest
0: is the only interest that always pays. That's <laughs> one, one of snapshots. Man, that's depressing. But anyway. This has not been a happy episode, has it? So you? listen, how do we turn
1: that nightmare into a dream then? You're saying rent, yeah? And then use that time to get investments going to make money to buy a house potentially. Yeah. I guess I'm asking are you for or against buying a home?
0: The best way to get out of a trap is not to get it in the first place. But yeah. I like the idea of home ownership. It's just I don't like the idea that is propagated as the preferred pathway to get there, i.e. get a job, borrow a lot of money, have an obligation for decades, and then have a house but don't have really much wealth outside of your house. That that system is broken and that's what's leading people into the pension. So what's the alternative? Correct. The alternative is to make a plan. First thing, a lot of people don't even have a plan. They're following a path without knowing it. So make a plan. And then as you make a plan, prioritise investing first and then home ownership second. Yep. Which is what I did. And it means living in a house which is not a glory house beyond your means. It might be living somewhere quite humble. But if that's what the cost is in the short term, understand that it's not permanent. It's a moment in time. It's not the rest of your life. And then as you have more means, direct more money towards investing with the notion that You'll know that your investing will work for you over time and you can redeploy some of your profits to buying that house you always wanted. Mm-hmm. And that way you'll have your income and your assets and your home. You can have it all. You just can't have it all following the normal way that people go about
1: it. Got it. And your focus is on financial assets as opposed to lifestyle assets, yeah?
0: Yeah. So financial assets are assets you buy for profit. Lifestyle assets are assets you buy for enjoyment. Yep. So if you buy for enjoyment before you buy for return – You'll get to live a nice life, but then you'll get to the end and you'll have less. But let me ask
1: you this, though, because I actually think that you're a long time dead as well, and you need to enjoy your life. Mm. You know.
0: Do you think you've spent enough on lifestyle assets in your life? I think you could always spend more. but oh, You, personally? Yeah, well, we take the kids' business class over to Thailand, and we stay in a really nice resort in Thailand, and we enjoy our money. Mm. But in enjoying our money... I also draw enjoyment out of being able to use it to touch, move, and inspire other people. And See, I never
1: got people who could borrow to go on holidays. I'm like, I wouldn't enjoy it if I had to borrow and go into debt to go to, you know, a five star resort or whatever. I'd rather just go somewhere else. What
0: about you know? borrowing to buy a car?
1: I don't have a problem with that as much because I need a car. And I write it off. you know.
0: Ah, the old I write it off for tax thing. Here we go. I need a Death out of debt, right? This yeah. is people being told, oh, I know, it's a tax deduction, so it's a good thing. Well, no,
1: don't get me wrong. If I could walk everywhere, I would, right? But I need a car, so I need to do that.
0: But you yeah. don't need the Aston Martin.
1: I don't have it. The- I have Kia <laughs> Sorento. I'm a man of the people. God damn it.
0: <laughs> Am I for or against buying a home? I'm for buying a home, but I'm against it if you can't afford it. I'm for doing things differently and getting a different outcome. I'm against drinking the Kool-Aid and trying to please other people by conforming to how they think you should live your life. So in chapter
1: 20, you wrote a whole bunch of reasons why owning your home as your primary financial goal is a bad idea. And I get that. I think that the listeners are realizing what you're saying there. But you're saying that you should use money to generate profits in other, other areas, yeah? And that's the most important thing. What about people who don't do that? You know, so they rent. But then they live the life of Riley and don't save that money.
0: It's the worst possible situation because if you could rent somewhere and have some money for investing, that's great. If you're renting somewhere and living the high life and having nothing left or worse, renting and getting into debt, you're one of the people who would probably be better off buying your home and chip, 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 chip chipping away at it over your lifetime.
1: Enforce savings, effectively.
0: Because at least at the end of the day, you'll have a home. Got
1: it. So and if you don't think you can trust yourself to invest the money, you are better off buying a house than just saying, I've got to pay the mortgage.
0: Better off than renting and consuming your income and having absolutely nothing to show for it.
1: All right. So now, what is the monkey trap that you talk about in your book, Tell the folk at Home?
0: Well, I read the monkey trap years ago in a Bob Allen book called Creating Wealth. And it's this story about how they capture monkeys in the forests of, I think, Indonesia. And they're not big monkeys, they're only little monkeys. Mm. And so they put peanuts in a glass bottle and they tie the glass bottle and bit of string and go and hide in the forest. And the monkey comes along and they see the peanuts in the bottle. So they reach in and grab the peanuts because they want the peanuts, but the hand is small enough to reach in. But once they're hanging on to the peanuts and they've got a clenched fist, they can't get their hand out again. Right. And they're trapped, right? (laughs) No,
1: they're not. They could just drop the peanuts. Well,
0: that's the point. You can't have the peanuts and not get trapped. Got it. So if they could let go of the peanuts, they'd escape. But what they end up doing is they want the peanuts but they can't get the peanuts so they jump up and down shrieking and the person just comes out from the forest with a hessian sack, throws it over them and captures the monkey. Those monkeys are nuts. Well, ha ha, very good. That Dad joke. But the point I want to say here is that often people are in that exact trap situation. If they let go of these things that they hold so precious, and it might be a home with a giant mortgage, they might actually be able to escape the whole debt trap and the midlife crisis and the unhappy marriage and all the other things that come with it, because it's not really a great Australian dream for most people. It's more likely the great Australian nightmare.
1: Well, it's certainly something to think about. I guess we all want- It's <laughs>
0: certainly something to think about. This has been a rather depressing episode. How can we make this up to people? How can we finish well, on a
1: good note? We can finish by saying, let's do a pass back, as I like to call it, pass back to the start of the episode and say, even if things are tough, They're not as tough as that person in Vietnam or in Thailand. Perspective. Correct. Honestly, I say this a lot. If you're on welfare in Australia, you're still in the top 10% of the world. Think about that, right? If you are on welfare in this country, which sucks, and I wouldn't encourage it, right? But if you are, you're still doing better than nine out of 10 people on the planet. Gratitude is the attitude, as I say to my kids all the time. Gratitude is the attitude.
0: I'm very grateful for you, Roland. Amen to that. (laughs) You're a religious bloke, I'm not, but anyway. I would say to people, as a takeaway from this episode, maybe you've been drinking the Kool-Aid and maybe you've gone, yeah, home ownership, uh, my mum and my dad told me that's the right thing to do in our family, blah, blah, blah. Just ask, is it working for you? Because it's not the only option. It's an option, but it's not the only option. And if you do what everyone else has done, you'll get what everyone else has got. And you may end up owning a home, But is that the goal, to have a home but be impoverished later on in life? Or you can say, I'll do things differently and try and get a different outcome. In which case, you can actually achieve the great Australian dream. But it's very difficult to achieve the great Australian dream out of a position where you get yourself into massive debt.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Money Magnet podcast. If you have questions or would like to provide feedback, then please send an email to podcast at moneymagnet.au.